The Holy Gospel is found in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 5, beginning with the 21st verse. This will serve as the basis for our meditation this morning. You have heard that it was said to people long ago, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that everyone who is angry with his brother without a cause will be subject to judgment. And whoever says to his brother, Raka, which basically means empty head, will have, the, have to answer to the Sanhedrin. But whoever says, you fool, will be in danger of hellfire. So if you are about to offer your gift at the altar, and there you remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, then come and offer your gift. If someone accuses you, reach an agreement with him quickly while you are with him on the way. Otherwise, your accuser may bring you to the judge and the judge may hand you over to the officer and you will be thrown into prison. Amen, I tell you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. You have heard that it was said you shall not commit adultery, but I tell you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to fall into sin, pluck it out and throw it away from you. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. If your right hand causes you to fall into sin, cut it off and throw it away from you. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you that whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, causes her to be regarded as an adulteress, and whoever marries the divorced woman is regarded as an adulterer. Again, you have heard that it was said to people long ago, do not break your oaths, but fulfill your vows to the Lord. But I tell you, do not swear at all, not by heaven, because it is God's throne, and not by earth, because it is his footstool, and not by Jerusalem, because it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your own head, since you cannot make one hair white or black. Instead, let your statement be yes, yes, or no, no. Whatever goes beyond these is from the evil one. The gospel of the Lord. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Jesus has hard words for us to hear today. I don't want you to be surprised if you're tempted to possibly, as you listen to Jesus' words, as you read them on the page, and you, and you think about Jesus as what he's saying here in this sermon, and you think to yourself, you know, that's a lot of practical advice. And you know, if I just listen to what he has to say, if I just apply it to my life, then, you know, I could really improve my life. I could be a better person. I could come up with several easy steps to controlling my temper better, to getting along with other people, whether that's my family or even people I, that, that I don't get along with so well. I could, it could help me to, to be able to have clean thoughts, improve my struggling marriage, or even be a person of integrity. I mean, it's practically what Jesus says here in Matthew 5. It, it's a self-help book waiting to be written, right? Right? You could think that way. And it would be very tempting for us to think that way, but if you think that way, you're missing Jesus' point here. Jesus has hard words for us today. And when you look at what Jesus has to say, what he's really saying here in his sermon, you quickly realize that this is no primer on helping yourself 
This isn't just a collection of advice for improving your attitude, your marriage, and your relationships with God and others. Jesus has hard words for us today because they are hard to hear. They are hard to accept. They are hard to apply because Jesus calls us to live a holy life. A life of true spiritual righteousness. But that's not so hard, Pastor. I mean, I get along with my neighbors. I show love for God. I can do that. I mean, that's how I get along with folks each and every day. I, we might be tempted to think that. It's like the scale that I've mentioned in the past, you know, where, where at a scale of 1 to 10, with 1 being the worst human being and 10 being, the absolute, being absolute perfection, that most folks would rate, put themselves kind of in the range of 6 to 8 more, some more, some less. Pretty good is a common refrain that we're all tempted to apply to ourselves. At least I haven't murdered anyone. At least I haven't robbed anyone. At least I haven't ruined anyone's marriage. You know, I'm generally honest with my business. I'm usually pretty good on my taxes. I try to get along with folks even when I'm driving. And you know, Lord, how hard it is to do that around here. I even hold the door for people. That's got to count for something, right, God? But even in our piety, Jesus has hard words for us to hear today. What does he have to say? You have heard that it was said to people long ago, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that everyone who is angry with his brother without a cause will be subject to judgment, and whoever says to his brother, Racha, will have to answer to the Sanhedrin, but whoever says, you fool, will be in danger of hellfire. You know, if I, if I haven't actually murdered someone or committed some violent crime, it's pretty easy for me to think that I've kept the fifth commandment, that commandment, you shall not murder. I mean, that's how the Pharisees in Jesus' day used to think. I mean, as long as we keep the letter of the commandment, we're good with God. All right, fifth commandment, check. On to the next one. And Jesus looks us in the eye and he shows us what God means about being holy in our relationships with others. And he has hard words for us. Have I ever been angry with someone without actual cause? Have I ever gotten ticked off because someone said something or someone did something without realizing the full context behind why they did or said what they said or did, only to find out later that my anger and frustration was misguided? How often have I muttered insults under my breath about another individual for some perceived foolishness or harbored hateful, hurtful thoughts in my mind because someone didn't do, do things the way that I expected them to do them. How often have I not deserved hellfire and judgment because I foolishly failed to be quick to listen and slow to speak? How often have I failed to heed Jesus' call to reconcile with my brother or even someone I got something against because that person holds something against me that I didn't actually rush from the altar but instead came up and partook of Christ's holy body and blood without doing the work of reconciling myself with that person. How often have I done those things? How often have you Jesus has hard words for us to hear today. 
You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery, but I tell you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to fall into sin, pluck it out and throw it away from you. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. If I have actually not ruined someone's marriage by my own sexual immorality, or if I have not had sexual relations with someone outside of marriage, it's pretty easy for me to think, I've kept the sixth commandment. You shall not commit adultery. I mean, that's what the Pharisees in Jesus' day did. That was how they approached this commandment. If I've kept the letter of the commandment, I'm good with God. Well, sixth commandment, check. Time to move on to the next one. Yet Jesus looks us in the eye and he shows us what God means about being holy in our relationships with our bodies. And for those of us who are married or contemplating marriage, our relationship with our spouse. What Jesus has to tell us is hard to hear. If you or I ever allowed a lustful thought for another person to linger in our mind, have you or I ever allowed the sexual image on the screen or on your phone or on your TV to linger or replay in your mind and you felt the temptation to go back and look at it again? In our sex-saturated society, it is very difficult for that to not happen. The statistics of how many people have become addicted to internet pornography are staggering. This is a pandemic of worldwide uh, significance. It affects children and adults, men and women, single folks and married couples spiritually, emotionally, mentally. It even impacts biologically. As studies have shown that, that engaging, getting addicted to that stuff actually, actually rewires parts of your brain. And it can ruin this, uh, health, the healthy sex life of a husband and wife. Lust has ruined so many relationships so many marriages, so many people, all over the years. But you know, it's not just internet pornography in a sex-saturated society now. I mean, we heard it earlier. King David, a thousand years before the birth of Christ, struggled with lust. The early Christians, 2,000 years ago, struggled with lust. Why? Our sinful natures yearn for what we do not have, what we cannot have. And so they use and ruin whatever God has graciously given us to get that fix that never satisfies. Rather than directing your sexual desires towards your spouse as God intended from the beginning, such thoughts get turned towards others to satisfy yourself, but they always fail to do so. And all that follows is guilt and emptiness, heartache and ruin. Is it any wonder why Jesus speaks so harshly about divorce after this? which ruins the holy union that God has established between a man and a woman. And while Jesus does allow for divorce in the case of sexual immorality, where that bond that God has established has been broken, consider what it does to everyone connected to that relationship. But I tell you that whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality causes her to be regarded as an adulteress, literally causes her to be a victim of adultery. And whoever marries the divorced woman is regarded as an adulterer. Divorce impacts 
everyone. It's not just the couple. It doesn't just happen in a vacuum in isolation. It impacts the couple individually. It impacts the kids. It impacts their families. It impacts their friends. It impacts their neighborhoods, their schools, their communities. It victimizes and traumatizes people and can ruin future relationships. Is it any wonder why God declares very bluntly, I hate divorce? Jesus has hard words for us to hear today. Again, you have heard that it was said to people long ago, do not break your oaths, but fulfill your vows to the Lord. But I tell you, do not swear at all. Instead, let your statement be yes, yes, or no, no. Whatever goes beyond these is from the evil one. What's Jesus talking about here with all this discussion about vows and oaths? It's not just about being a person who keeps a promise. But Jesus' point is that he's calling us to be people of honesty and integrity before God and others. Do I keep the promises and vows that I make? Am I always trustworthy? Do I ever do anything under the table or in private that would ruin my reputation or get me in trouble with others if they found out that I had done that or I am doing that? Could I possibly stand before God and claim to be a man of integrity and God would look at me and go, yep, Jesus has hard words for us to hear today. And if these words have not brought you to your knees, then you're not listening to what Jesus is saying to you today. Jesus calls us to live a holy life. Jesus calls for true spiritual righteousness. He lays out for us in stark, vivid detail God's demand for holiness. And all that I see from that is my own spiritual depravity. As I imagine you see yours. All we can do is fall down before God in humility. We bring nothing before God. All we can do is cry out to the Lord the the prayer of of the tax collector, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. We wait in terrified anticipation for the hammer of God's judgment to come crashing down on us. And Jesus taps us on the shoulder and says to us gently, I have my child. If anyone had a right to be angry at how people treated him, it was Jesus. If anyone had a right to get what he wanted from others, it was Jesus. If anyone had a right to condemn a world full of depraved fools like us, it was Jesus. If anyone had a right to divorce himself from the Christian church because of our sin and wickedness, Jesus had that right. Yet he did not. Rather than condemn us, Jesus made himself the sacrifice of reconciliation between us and God. We heard it earlier. We sang it in the gospel acclamation. But here's those words again. Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Yet to be that fragrant offering and sacrifice to God, Jesus had to live a holy life that was acceptable to the holy God. And so Jesus allowed himself to endure injustice and foolishness at the hands of enemies and friends alike, but he did not hate or hurt 
or kill with his words and with his thoughts. Surely he was tempted to lust. I mean, after all, there was a time when Jesus was an awkward teenager growing up into an adult, just as we once were, just as we are. Yet his thoughts, they remained 100% pure all through adolescence. They remained 100% pure all through adulthood. I mean, think of that. Who of us can even get through a single hour without an impure, sinful thought? let alone a whole day. And Jesus did it through an entire lifetime. Every one of Christ's thoughts, every one of Christ's words, every one of Christ's actions remained holy from his conception by the Holy Spirit to his death on the cross. Jesus Christ proved to be the only true man of integrity in all that he thought, said, and did, the only true holy person in all of history. And it was all for us Jesus lived beneath God's holy law to be our holy substitute, to take our place where all we've been able to do is fail. Yet not only in life, but in death, Jesus provided the forgiveness and the mercy that we need. His forgiveness is greater than our depravity. His mercy far outweighs our wickedness. Jesus in his mercy took all of our sinful anger, all of our lust, all of our broken relationships, all of our struggling marriages, all of our thoughtless words, all of our failed promises, all that heavy guilt that we accumulate day after day, and he claimed it for himself. That's mine. Why? So God would punish him instead of us. So God would look at you and look at me and say, not guilty. So if Jesus has paid for our sins, then we are holy in God's sight. Our thoughts, our choices, our priorities, our attitudes, our words, our actions are now holy too because they have been washed clean in the holy blood of Christ. But pastor, I still have a sinful nature. It still hangs around my neck. It won't let me go, and I, and I got to deal with it. Yes, that's true. Me too. But you have been made holy by the one whose mercy is more than your guilt, whose mercy is more than your depravity, whose mercy is more than your wickedness. That Savior has made you holy now, and now that Savior who has made you holy, he now calls you to live the life he intends for you to live a holy life pleasing to him. That's only possible because he was holy for us. So my friends, with his gracious help, through faith in him, you will. Amen.